Hey everyone, Keith here. I wanted to shed some light on this episode before you give it a listen. We're re-releasing our conversations with Adrian King, Madupe Akinola, and Alex Nothru as part of our Black History Month series. In these episodes, we focus on unconscious bias, racial equity, social justice, and our Blacks at Bain community, all topics that are still very relevant today. We're also releasing a new episode featuring Brittany Matthews, a partner in our Chicago office who created the Black Leaders Forum. BLF is a space for Black executives to connect and support each other on their career journeys, and I always look forward to participating in it myself. As part of a three-part series, we're focusing on the theme, Then, Now, Next. These episodes share how we thought about Bain's Black community in the past, how we're focusing in the present, and new initiatives we're building for the future. I hope you enjoy these episodes as much as I enjoyed recording the conversations with Bain's Black leaders and close friends. As always, I have three asks of everyone listening today. First, please leave us a rating if you like what you're hearing. Second, provide us feedback if you think there are ways we can improve. And third, let us know what topics you'd like us to touch on in the future. We'll be starting up a new season this summer, and I can't wait to share more stories of extraordinary people at Bain. Thanks, and have a great day. Welcome to Beyond the Bio, Black History Month edition. I'm your host, Keith Bevins, a partner and global head of consultant recruiting at Bain. This is one of several episodes throughout the month of February focused on the work we've done for and with the Black community inside and outside of Bain over the years. I hope they're as much fun to listen to as they were to record. Joining me today for part one of our three-part Black History Month series is Adrian King, an executive vice president based in our Chicago office, and Madupe Akinola, a Bain alum who left in 2008. Today we'll talk with Adrian and Madupe about their journey with Bain and their role in founding and formalizing Bain's diversity efforts as part of our Black employee group. Welcome, Adrian and Madupe. Great to have you both. So good to be here. Like many of our guests, I've known you two for a very long time, but it'd be helpful to bring people up to speed on your backgrounds. Adrian, why don't we start with you? I know we're both sitting in Chicago, a few blocks from each other at home, but can you walk us through your background? Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? And all that good stuff. Happy to. Yeah, so really happy to be here, Keith. I grew up in Chicago, actually not too far from where I'm sitting today. So I grew up on the south side of Chicago, a neighborhood a little bit south of here called the Jackson Park Highlands, um, a little south of Hyde Park. And I left Chicago for college, headed out east to Yale, where I got a, a BA in economics. While I was in college, I participated in a diversity internship program called Inroads, which led me to two summers of internships with Leo Burnett advertising agency. So coming out of college, my initial goal was to get a job in consumer marketing. So I was interviewing with, you know, P&G and those types of companies. Just tagged along with a friend to a info session with this company I'd never heard of, Bain and Company, that did this business that I'd never heard of, which was management consulting. Thought it sounded a little bit interesting. So I you know, tagged along with him. And next thing I know, I'm uh, moving to Boston as an AC in the class of 1986. So I started with Bain in Boston, um, was there for about three years, went to Stanford for business school, was originally supposed to go back to the Boston office, but uh, started dating my now husband while I was at Stanford. Um, he was in med school, so was continuing his education. And so I transferred to the San Francisco office was a consultant there for two years. And then in uh, 1993, he matched, he finished med school finally, matched to Northwestern for his residency. We were getting married that summer. And so we were moving to Chicago. And actually at 
the time, as far as I knew, we didn't actually have a Chicago office. So I actually went to resign, letting our HR partner in the San Francisco office, who happened to be John Donahoe, know that I was, you know, going to be moving to Chicago and it was my journey with Bain was, you know, coming to an end. And he said, well, actually, you know, Ted Rouse, who's a partner in San Francisco that I had worked with in the past, had just agreed to move to Chicago to be the office head, and we're opening an office this summer. Would you like to transfer instead? So I transferred to Chicago uh, that summer instead. So first of all, I didn't realize you were also an Inroads alum. I spent a couple summers in high school, well, after high school and college, interning at AT AT&T, which is where I spent a couple of summers in high school and after. So welcome to uh, fellow fellow Inroads alum. That's amazing. I can't believe we never figured that out before. I know. So your initial plan when you went to Yale, if you back up a sec, you were interning at Leo. Was your plan to go into business of some sort or did you want to go into advertising or what was the career vision for you because you're you have I know your sister was a couple of years ahead of you and probably doing something in business at that point so were you trying to follow in her footsteps a little bit you know she definitely was my uh still is in some ways my role model but yeah so she was four years ahead of me also went to Yale also majored in economics so he's definitely following in her footsteps she went into finance though which was not my favorite so I um I did have this idea that I was interested in business, but I didn't really want to go down the finance route. And so, again, through Leo, you know, the Leo Burnett internships, I'd gotten exposed to marketing. I had offered to go back to them. So I also was kind of picky when I was interviewing because I did enjoy working there, but thought I would like to be on the other side of the table a little bit more. So I was looking at consumer packaged goods companies. Got it. And then from Boston to San Francisco to Chicago, you were part of the initial founding group for the Chicago office? I was. I Well, so technically there were a few people living in Chicago that they had office space, but they were not an official Bain office. They were like staffed with Boston teams and, and things like that. They had various personal reasons for being in Chicago. So there was a handful of people that were living here before that summer, but that was sort of the official, like, we're really going to actually have an office now. We're bringing partners. We're going to get our own clients. We're going to, you know, staff up and have case teams. And this was Early 90s, right? Like 93, 94 ish? 93. Summer of 1993. In fact, in the spring, it was funny, they brought people that were interested in being part of that group to Chicago to kind of like pitch us on, like, come join the Chicago office. And so it was myself, Julie Kaufman, and Michael Collins were in business school. So they they were, you know, Michael had been a summer associate, Julie was a former AC, so they came. Krista Ridgway was already in Chicago, and so, you know, Kara Groover was already in Chicago. Her husband was a resident at Northwestern, so she was, like, working out of Chicago, but really, you know, managing Boston teams. So it was, it was a funny, funny thing. That is an interesting group, especially because so many of the names you just mentioned are, are still at Bain. In fact, in a couple of episodes, we'll be talking with Darren Jackson, who is co-leading some of our internal DEI efforts with Julie Kaufman and standing up the practice, and Julie, uh, at the time when I joined, was my first manager at Bain. So there's a lot of connections here, and I'm hoping that one day we'll get Julie on the podcast as well. Madupe, I want to talk about your background for a second. I have always known you as somebody who was New York through and through, and I don't think I realized how deep the, the roots ran as you sit there in New York right now. Are you from New York? Is that the connection here? I am, born and raised City girl, Manhattan, not just New York, like Manhattan, not the suburbs or anything. True city girl, born and raised. My parents immigrated here to New York in the late 60s. They're from West Africa, 
Nigerians. My dad, my mom's from Togo, but they both grew up in Ghana, met there and decided to make their way to their U.S. for the land of opportunities. And uh, a couple of years after they arrived here, they had their, my older sister, then me, and eventually my younger sister. Before we talk about sort of your growing up in Manhattan and where you went to school and all that good stuff, we had a debate at my house during an event last year. Jolof uh-huh. Rice, Ghanaian yeah. or Nigerian? Which one well, is better? Oh, this is- I prefer the Ghanaian one. I'm sorry. I just do. My my. Dad side, the Nigerians would be very upset with that, but the Nigerian one's a little bit too spicy for me. And they throw in too many other things in there. So, Ghanaian. Wow, that is a big statement. We hope it works out for you. And you are on record. You are on record. (laughs) On record for Ghanaian jollof rice. Yes, I am. I'm claiming it. (laughs) So, I didn't realize you went to school in Manhattan as well. And what was your path like to Harvard? Did you have a plan for what you wanted to do with your career? I mean, you're, you're in academia now, which we'll get to. But what was the plan like when you were growing up and, and heading off to college? I went to a K-12 through private all-girls, predominantly white school called the Brearley School. And 85% of my class went to Ivy's. One of the reasons I wanted to go to Harvard was that my sister was at Wellesley and my sister is like my best friend, the coolest person ever. So I was like, we could overlap for one year in the same city. Okay. And when I visited Harvard, I just loved it and thankfully got in and the rest was history. And for me, when I got to Harvard, I was business through through and through. And just like you, guess who did inroads her freshman year? Seriously? Yes, I did inroads. I did inroads. I was at what's now Deutsche Bank, but it was Bankers Trust back then. I did inroads for one summer and then did kind of like more other business stuff on campus other summers. Right. And you were, when you joined Bain as an AC, you already knew that you were going to come back to HBS, right? Yes, I did. So what happened was, first of all, I need to highlight that during my inroads year, A professor from Harvard, David Thomas, was giving a talk on like black people in corporate America. And I thought it was so dope. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to meet this man. And I tell him I'm at Harvard. I want to do research with him on this topic because I want to be successful in corporate America later. Ended up meeting him, doing research with him. He's a mentor, friend, whatever. I'll get to how that, why that relationship matters. But so met him, did research with him. And then kind of my junior year, I was like, should I go to grad school or what? And he was like, no, you've done business stuff on campus. You run the student-run organization. You should, you know, do business stuff, apply to business school, do the two plus two program, which existed at that time, which was that you'd spend two years um, working and then you'd go to business school and whatever. So I applied as a senior to HBS and got in. And the question for me was, what was, what am I going to do for those two years? And the dilemma was I wanted to go back to West Africa and start up a nonprofit of giving education to poor kids and their families. So I actually did that. But then I knew I was going to go to HBS. And so I was kind of like, do I want to go straight to HBS having just done this? Or do I want to be able to be competitive with my classmates at HBS and actually know what like a weighted average cost of capital is? So I applied to Bain. And here's the funny thing. I have to say this. It's so important. I've sent a letter from Ghana just saying like, hey, I would love to, you know, interview. And of course, got a rejection. And then there were a couple of folks at Bain who were from Harvard. I reached out to them and it was through them that I ended up getting the interview. 
at Bain and got the job. That is too funny. And I remember meeting you when you started at Bain. And I had asked you, you know, something to the effect of, do you plan on going back to business school? And you just looked at me and were like, well, I'm going back to HBS. I already got in. And I was going through, you know, I was like, who, who is this person? I didn't know you were Madupe Akinola at the time, but you made it very clear. You were like, no, I am just passing through. I am going back to HBS. This is a little pit stop for me, a little pit stop. So grateful for that, to be able to go to Bain and feel like I'm really here to learn, to get everything yeah. possible and grow and position me well for business school. It was a privilege for sure. And But I also wanted to get the offer too. So I was like, let right. me, you know, work right, do this right so I can get the offer to return just in case I want to. So Right. Now, you both had long journeys and careers at Bain, but I want to I want to expand a little bit more on that. Adrian, you know, when you came to Chicago, I think you were a consultant or a manager at the time, and that's probably about the time we met. Also, little known fun fact, uh, Adrian was number two or three of the people that I met at Bain. I had met Ed Page, who hopefully we'll have on one day, uh, when I was a sophomore in college. And I think at a career fair, for some reason, I went to the National Black MBA Career Fair. It was in Boston that year. And uh, I remembered Bain and Company because I had seen Ed a year earlier, basically alone at an engineering career fair, and went over and talked with Adrian and Kim Goodman (laughs) at the time and got to talk with them at the end of a very long day because Adrian definitely was done with the career fair and Kim was shoes <laughs> shoes off sitting on the career fair table. That's, That's kind right. of where they were at in the day. Well, the funny part was because it was, as Keith said, it was the National Black MBA career fair. He's a sophomore in college. So we had talked to like all these MBAs and it hadn't been a very fruitful day. You were like, I don't think we're getting anyone from this. You know, Kim and I were like, oh my God, like this was a waste of our, our time. And then here comes Keith with his backpack, his book bag on his shoulder and, you know, and, you know, best conversation we had all day. And then, but then it's like, but you're a sophomore in college. Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I was like, okay. Here's what you have to do. Junior year, you got it right. It worked out. It worked out. Here we are 30 years later. But Adrian, you came to Bain, Chicago. And then I, I know that you ultimately ended up making the call again to leave. And this was when you moved down to Texas. Can you talk a little bit about your journey since then and, and the role that you're doing now? Because you're not on the consultant side of the business, but you've taken on a pretty important role here in the Americas region. So where did you go from Chicago? Yeah, happy to. Um, so when I came to Chicago, I was a consultant. I've been a consultant for two years, so I was actually moving into the what we now call manager, we used to call CTL role, which was a really odd time to do that because, again, the Chicago office was new. There were 12 of us. We were trying to build a business. We had no clients. <laughs> so actually trying to get promoted in a you know in an environment where there were we were scraping the barrel to try to find work. And, you know, this was back when Bain didn't have many offices and we didn't really know how to open offices. So we started with like two partners and a bunch of ACs and consultants and, you know, later learned that actually it's good to start with senior people that can sell work when you want to open an <laughs> office. <laughs> Turns out having clients is a good, a good thing. So anyway, we were, you know, we, we scraped our way through, but eventually got promoted to manager and, Shortly after, I was probably manager for a year or so, started having kids. So then I went part-time. So most of my time as a manager, I was actually part-time, 60% allocated. 
A few years later, after uh, my husband finished his residency in orthopedics, I, we at that point had an almost two-year-old. I was pregnant and on a travel case in Denver. And Eric came home one day and said, you know, I really want to do this fellowship for a year in Dallas. And I just sort of looked at him. I was like, we don't know anyone in Dallas. Like, how in the world is that going to work? And so I actually went to, Ted Rouse was still the office head, went to Ted and said, look, I don't even know what I'm asking, but in a few few months, something's going to have to change. Either Eric's moving to Dallas and I'm staying here with the kids, in which case I can't be traveling to Denver every week, or I need to transfer to the Dallas office for a year, but that would be weird because I'm going to you know, work for a couple months, go on maternity leave, work for a couple months, come back. So I was like, I don't even know what I want to do, but I just felt like you should know. And, you know, and Ted basically, he's like, what are you talking about? Like sending Eric, he's like, keep the family together. Just take the year. We'll be here when you get back. Don't worry about it. So I ended up doing a one-year leave of absence and we moved the family to Dallas for one year. I was a house mom for a year, learned that that was not my a good, great fit for me, but it was an adventure. And then we came back and I started doing client work again. And then a couple years, I, you know, at that point, I was, you know, pretty senior manager. We didn't have different titles at that point, but it's what we now call associate partner. So it was time to make the push for a partner. And I really did not thrive in that role. I didn't enjoy it. It was not, it required the parts of the job that I liked the least and had less of the parts of the job that I really enjoyed, which was problem solving and really team management and development. And so I made the decision the second time I tried to quit, which was, I was like, you know, this is not the right job for me. Um, you know, I think it's time to go. And so I actually was, you know, it started the job search process. You know, they asked me to do one more case. We were onboarding a industry hire manager, former BCG manager, and they asked if I would like, partner with him on a team to help him get integrated. So I did that. And then Ted approached me and asked if I would do this role that they, the leadership team had recently decided they needed, which was a dedicated role focused on office operations and sort of talent leadership. So it was basically running the office. You know, it was a smaller office, so taking over staffing and HR, but also, you know, the local controller and TSG manager and all those office manager kind of reporting to me. And so I thought, well, that'd be a fun thing to do for a couple of years, you know, kind of establish this new role for the Chicago office and, you know, and then I'll go off and do something else and give me some operating experience, right? And that was 20 years ago. (laughs) So I did that for a couple of years and then the Toronto office was having some issues on the HR front. So they asked if I would lead HR for Toronto. So I, t- I took that on in addition to Chicago. And then uh, a regional role was created in 2005, and I stepped into that. And over time, it's kind of migrated to what I do today, which is sort of talent leadership for the Americas. So I, I don't do recruiting or training, which are global functions, but sort of everything else once people sort of come on board. Yeah, and I, I always tell people sort of, you usually say something like, yeah, I'm Adrian, I work in human capital. And I say, well, the regional managing partner for the Americas has sort of three lieutenants. He's got a finance person, he's got a chief of staff, and he's got a head of people. 
And you're the head of people, is my, is my rough way of thinking about it. It was interesting, though, because a, a bunch of people on the podcast, uh, Lull at Ready's episode, he talked about opening three offices in India. And it's interesting to hear your story of opening an office sort of 30 years prior to how, now that we have the playbook down, how Lullet's experience has been going back and forth to different cities in India and opening offices. But it's also neat that when you thought about making changes in your career, we thought about what would give you energy as a firm and found a good fit, which is also pretty neat and something that a bunch of guests have talked about over time. Madupe, when you came back from business school, your journey was also very different than what a lot of people have seen because you came back to the client side, got to get that sponsorship, get that money. That's right. But you took a very different path through Bain for several years. Why don't we pick it up when you came back from business school as a consultant? You know, what were you focused on? What were you spending your time on? It was a post-merger integration of a medical equipment company. That I remember. And it was really intense. And I was on that and I was 100%. But my heart was also into getting more people of color. And we'll talk more about why. But when I came back to Bain, there were seven African-Americans. Keith, you were one. You were the most senior. And then after that was me, which was a stark shift from when I left Bain before B-School, where there were like 30-something of us. So I was like, oh, no, no, what do we need to do? So I was probably for like 18 months, 100% doing consulting work, but on the side going to all these business schools and trying to find students of color going to undergrads on the side. Darren Jackson was one of my finds, by the way. Mm -hmm. But he was like, I want to do banking. I want to do banking. I was like, okay. And I came back later and got him. But yes, and so that time, that's when I was cultivating relationships with um, the students of color at different schools because I was like, we need to do more. And then after probably 18 months, I hit that point where I was like, and the reason I remember it was a medical equipment company is that my manager, Jen binder Lapap, came to me and was like, you know, I was really thinking about this in the shower and I think the company should blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you think about this work in the shower? <laughs> oh no, when I get home, I do not want to think about this work. I don't want to think about it in the shower. I don't want to think about it. So I was like, maybe I need to think about whether this work is for me. So that's context. I just think it's really important to know when you have a moment where your manager says something, you're like, mm-hmm, interesting. Just do yeah. some self-reflection. Anyway, I had decided then because we needed to do some of this deeper work to get people of color I went 50-50 and was doing client work. And then on the other side was doing some of the recruiting and some of the retention work and chose at that point also to see a career coach to figure out, oh my gosh, do I want to do this long-term? What do I want to do? And the career coach clearly convinced you to stay at Bain full-time doing client work, right? Where did that lead you? Well, so here's the thing. This is why I love Bain so much. They were like, you know what? We want you to be here. So just, but we want you to be here and be happy. So it was a Bain career coach that they offered, especially to people who had returned. And we did this card sorting thing. And I was like, I just need work that gives me more personal fulfillment. That's more like whatever and not, I don't know. And I thought it was to do more nonprofit work or something like that. Mm -hmm. So again, Bain is like, we create win-wins. And Bain had this great relationship with City Year. And City Year was looking for somebody who would kind of lead the strategy for them finding or moving to new countries and finding new sites internationally. And so I was like, let me do that as a little externship. But mind you, when I started doing that, Bain was like, um, will you still do the recruiting stuff 50% on the side? Well, we'll make it work because you like this place. You know this place. We know you. You want more people of color. You just happen to choose another path. So I was like, okay, sure. I'll do that 50% while, while having another job. 
And in that process of being at City Year, I actually realized I went back to my roots of, remember I said I met David Thomas and did research with him and I wrote a thesis in college and I started asking myself, do I want to study the things that I loved about consulting, which were my client relationships and things like that and organizational dynamics and even Bain's organizational dynamics. I was so engaged in that. So I thought, let me study this scientifically. Let me get a PhD and become a business school professor. But meanwhile, when I told Bain that I was going to do that, they were like, well, won't you still do this on the side? So (laughs) I did stay on at Bain for four years of my (laughs) PhD, starting up what we now know to be kind of some of the diversity recruiting and retention efforts. So that's kind of my path. And I'm a professor at Columbia Business School now, and I wouldn't trade the journey for anything. And I try to send my best students to Bain. I know a bunch of the efforts that you all have done, just as articulated through your journeys, Adrian, being at diversity conferences, recruiting for Bain and Madupe, getting involved in diversity recruiting in addition to your client work was a big part of your journeys. I want to shift and talk a little bit about the efforts inside Bain that started formalizing Actually, the year I joined in 96, I still have the sweatshirt and still wear it with our first Blacks at Bain conference. It's a great sweatshirt. It's withstood the years and multiple attempts by my wife to throw it out, but it lives on to this day. (laughs) Adrian, can we talk a little bit about the early founding? I know before that conference, the group in the 80s in the Boston office was the unofficial Babs group. I know Tony Frazier and Stefan would say that before there was the Babs conference, it was lunch at Chili's in Copley. Where our headquarters was. That is exactly right. Yeah. (laughs) What were the early years like? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I, you know, I joined Bain in 1986 as an AC. And at the time, I want to say, well, so there were three black ACs in my class of 120, (laughs) just to give you a sense of the magnitude. No other ACs senior. So we were all of the ACs. There had been one, she transferred to Paris, I think like the year before. And then I want to say maybe there were like three or three consultants. One of the consultants was actually like a CTL or, you know, what we now call manager, Michael Green. And uh, he had started as an AC, worked all the way through. So he sort of acted as you know, a a mentor for all of us. He sort of took all of us under his wing. You know, he invited us to his house and, you know, we had a dinner there. Steve Rogers was also an industry hire consultant at the time. So those of you that may recognize the name, you know, Steve went on to be a lecturer at business, a couple of different business schools, I think. Entrepreneur, very big personality. So when Steve walked down the hall, everybody, you know, stopped and noticed. You know, so he also, you know, was a mentor. I I do remember going on a, a recruiting trip to Morehouse with Steve and, you know, one of the other ACs. And so, you know, we just informally did some of the things that we do more formally now, you know, so there was a little bit of a community, but it was very small. Now, for context, I know people today will hear this and say, oh my God, you know, Bain was just awful in terms of diversity. And that's true, but so was all other business. I mean, this was not, we were not an outlier on this front. I was stunned and so happy that there were two other black ACs in my class. Like, you know, when I interned at Leo Burnett, I didn't see another black face on the professional side of the firm. So, And I I have to ask, was Eric one of the other ACs in your class? He was. (laughs) He was also the one that went to Morehouse, the Morehouse trip with with us. But yeah, but we didn't date. (laughs) We didn't date a thing. Wearing your HR hat, it's important to clarify. (laughs) It's true. 
It's true. So fast forward a decade, though, that's when we had the first conference. And I remember Torrance Boone being super involved and spending a ton of energy trying to get that conference together, just looking at the effort on the ground when I joined. How did that conference come about? Because even without a formal diversity effort, so to speak, like we have today, clearly the firm was investing. You know, you were going to Morehouse, you were at conferences, Ed was at the Nesby conference, and we flew everybody to Chicago for this conference. What what was that process like? Yeah, well, so I'll back up just a little bit. It, I think the, we got a little bit more formal around 1989, and that was the year that I left to go to business school. But Brenda Prince, who was a consultant, um, organized a diversity recruiting event in the Bain office for HBS students. And so that was actually when we first coined the term Blacks at Bain because she was like planning this event. She's like, well, we need to call ourselves something. And being not creative consultants, that's what we came up with. (laughs) And so, you know, that event sticks in my mind because I had just gotten promoted to consultant. So they invited me to the event because we needed more Black people in the room. And so even though I didn't go to business school, I had the consultant title, so that was good enough. And Again, I remember this vividly because I was getting ready to leave to go to school, but Derek Ferguson was one of the participants. And so Derek, who I believe he came then as a summer associate, I think it was the first year, he, I believe he came as a summer associate, but then didn't come directly to Bain after he graduated because he went and started his magazine. But then sort of like your story with Jaron Jackson, we kept in contact with him and were able to recruit him later. And later, you know, Derek and I got promoted manager at the same time. So we were peers throughout. But, you know, that was our first, I think, official diversity recruiting event. And Babs was actually Bain's first affinity group. There were no other, there was no official. I mean, I'm sure I know the women did things together and whatnot, but in terms of an official, like with the name and whatnot. So as you said, fast forward a few years, we, you know, we went through these cycles where we would have good recruiting years. We'd have a bunch of people. We never really had a formalized retention effort. And so we didn't retain people. And then we would go down to really low numbers and someone would say, oh my God, there are no black people. Just like, you know, Madupe's experience. And so then we make another big push. So around in the early 90s was when we had made another big push, especially through the AC recruiting, which was led by Chris Beerley at the time. You know, Derek Ferguson was, you know, a senior consultant getting promoted to manager around that time as well. And, you know, really leaning in on this. So Torrance was a, you know, former AC. He'd been AC in the San Francisco office, was now in Boston, you know, doing really well. And I think he just really pushed, he wanted this to happen and he really pushed for it. I was on maternity leave with my first kid. So I remember when they reached out to me and I was like, well, if you do it in Chicago, I can come. But I can't, I can't go anywhere else. I've got like a newborn. And so the the first conference was in Chicago. And I because I remember actually bringing Jonathan to like one of the lunches, like holding him. And I don't even remember where we were. Unbelievable. Yeah. And Madupe, your role is dovetailed really nicely on what Adrian just talked about. Because after years of sort of good cycles, bad cycles going back into the 80s, we really put a more formal structure in place, I would say. You know, the conference was in place and and happening every year, but the investment year-round from a people perspective was really different with your role there. What did you set out to do when you took that role? You know, you were at City Year, you were doing your PhD, but you, you had a pretty clear mandate and a big mandate, I think, with the work you were doing inside Bain. What was, what was that about? 
Well, can I go back for a second to your first conference was 96 in Chicago. Mine was 97 in Atlanta. I believe the Atlanta office had just opened. And like, you know, you know, Adrian's kind of talking all nonchalantly. Adrian was like a god to all of us. Oh my gosh, a black manager. They're like, none of them. Kim Crawford Goodman, you're like, oh my goodness. Torrance, a black manager. Like these were our idols. Like they did it. They made it. They were amazing. And they were cool. So you have to understand, like this Adrian we're talking about was like, that, that I'm sitting here chit-chatting with, was like, love when I was at the Babs conference. Let's, let's not get it twisted. And... I don't think we we didn't have any black VPs. There were no black partners at Bain at that time. So like this was, so I just wanted to set that context. And then there there's just so many other legends. They mentioned Derek and and Torrance Boone, and I have to throw in Giselle Garraway. Like these are former ACs who returned, who were again like these legends who had gone to business school and came back and were progressing. So I wanted to highlight that context. So that was the Bain I knew. And then I came back and like most of them were gone. And now context, this was the dot-com boom. People went off to start great things, to do other things. Babs people went on to law school, to med school, to, to you name it. But it was just such a stark contrast for me that there were like seven after these like, oh my gosh. So I just, when something comes to my mind and I'm like, I want to fix this, I focus on it. And for me, I had had such a great experience at Bain. I felt like more Black people in the world needed to be at this company. So my vision was to make sure that people were aware of the organization and that they really understood what consulting was, what strategy consulting is, increase awareness. And so the goal was to go to every single school where we recruited and do targeted events for the people of color for the black students specifically and do multiples and do one-on-ones and do special mock interviews and do all of that. And it's not to say we didn't do that before, but I, th- I think before our efforts were broad across schools. And I said, let's go deep into the schools where we typically recruit from and where we already have a team. And so anytime we'll go to UVA or whatever, or any school, we'd have a night before gathering with the black students at business school, same thing. And I'm very proud. I should have trademarked this, but the pre-MBA program, Adrian, we should have trademarked it because we created this. This idea that all of you are like at pre-MBA and whatever, that did not exist. Bain was a pioneer. We were the first to say, well, if we want to get people beforehand and increase awareness, then before they get to business school, the summer yep. right before, we need to get Black students Give them a day where they learn about Bain, bring Derek Ferguson in to talk about how his Bain experience parlayed itself into working for Puff Daddy and some other cool stuff. And we did that. And we worked with MLT and other organizations to make that happen. So on the recruiting front, it was gangbusters. That was a piece of one of the things I wanted to do. And at the time, John Donahoe was the worldwide managing director. Liz Ramos was a one of the uh, worldwide kind of like VPs of, of uh, human resources or human capital. And then Adrian was in her new role. So Adrian and I together, we like would conjure up all these ideas and like, let's make it happen. How are we going to make it happen? And got so much support. Just quickly there on, on the pre-MBA program. I don't know that a lot of people will connect those dots, but that was a couple dozen people in our New York office 
probably about a decade ago. That program has grown significantly and still exists today as Experience Bain Diversity. Uh, We've run it now in two cities, and it's also spawned a bunch of offshoots, including Experience Bain Veterans, Experience Bain for other groups and other organizations at Bain. But it did start in New York, and that's the the legacy of the effort that you started a decade ago. And many people listening to this have participated in in that event. And it was a big part of them deciding consulting in Bain was for them. And in a lot of cases, it was a big part of them deciding that consulting was not for them, which was, I think, part of the goal that we set out for. Get a taste early so you know where to spend your time when you get to school. Yep. I mean, and and it's just always a reminder to me that the reason I loved Bain and I wanted so many people and I still want everyone to go there, like all of my, my amazing students, is that I felt like it's a place where if you have a vision to do something, people will support you to make it happen. As long as it's aligned with our vision, their vision, the values, values were aligned. So it was like, yeah, make it happen. We're seeing that this year with a lot of the efforts around DEI, and we'll have John and and Darren on talking about the practice and the fourth pillar, you know, with with Manny's support and Julie Kaufman uh, investing a ton of her time behind it. Adrian and I are involved in those efforts. But you mentioned John Donahoe in there, and I I mentioned on a different episode, John is now the CEO at Nike. And we closed down our firm for Juneteenth this year for a day of learning, discussion, and reflection. And shortly uh, thereafter, I think, or around that time, John had made Juneteenth a company holiday at Nike. Um, and, And knowing that he was supportive of the diversity efforts early on at Bain and investing the firm's resources behind it and making space for you and Adrian and others to do their thing... Honestly, it wasn't a big surprise, fast forward 30 years, that John is is making those changes at one of the most iconic companies in the world. That makes perfect sense to me. I mean, and just so, so a piece of this was, yes, the recruiting, let's just amp it up and have a special and hire somebody, well, who was me, who was really working and focused on that with Black students and perspectives working within the, the existing infrastructure of recruiting. But the thing that was missing was also retention. For me, I was like, why is this person leaving? They're going too? Did they not like Bain? How did things go? When I saw them, they were smiling and everything was good and they're gone now? What? So it was like, nope, let's get up in their business. And like, let's see what their reviews are looking like. Let's see where they're falling short or not. Or let's see where we're falling short and not making or letting them have the right experience to allow them to really thrive and flourish and enjoy being here. So a piece of this was then we created the system of having like a diversity champion at each office, of going through each Black person's review collectively behind the scenes and then with them to give pointers or tips, because we know that feedback can be different from my research, from other research, that feedback giving and, and receiving systems and processes are different. Social networks, how you know how I knew how to do well at Bain? I would go to Giselle, be like, Giselle, again, Giselle was a former AC who had returned after business school and was a consultant when I was an AC. So I was like, Giselle, what does this deck look like? Giselle, is this crazy? Giselle, how does this sound? And she would tell me what to do. We don't all have the systems and networks to tell us that. And so part of the retention effort was to give that opportunity to our Babs folks. And so it was having diversity champions, going through performance reviews, also hooking each person up with a Babs mentor who was senior to them so that, again, they had someone else who they could go to if there was a challenge outside of their office. Also, getting more Babs folks together within the offices 
keeping track of the numbers. How many partners do we have? How many ACs? What is the funnel we do with the funnel to figure out who was going through the system and who fell out at what stages and all of this so that we could systematically understand what our retention processes were looking like. Adrian, can you share a little bit about the legacy of that? Because a lot of what Madupe started when she was in her role has not only dramatically improved the numbers for Black Bane, but it's also led to a lot of best practices that are now shared across a bunch of populations. And from your regional human capital perspective, you see a lot of this stuff in practice, right? Absolutely. I mean, again, you know, just as BABS was our first affinity group, a lot of these practices that Madupe really spearheaded and put in place on the retention side are, you know, core parts of our broader diversity efforts. So we have WAB champions in every office, just like Madupe created BABS champions. We have also diversity champions. So we have, you know, not only specific for affinity groups, but we have one, you know, partner level person that cuts across all the all diversity groups within an office. And, you know, the metrics and tracking and the funnel, you know, we've, of course, refined it over time. But, you know, we first started doing that with, Madupe was the first one to start doing that with Babs. Like, you know, where are these people falling out of the system in the recruiting process? Where are they falling out in the, you know, once they get here, the, you know, creating the mentor program. I mean, you know, that's evolved over time with, you know, research and whatnot, did sponsor programs. But, you know, our first sort of foray into that were the Babs mentors. So, yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's a lot of those, you know, supports and infrastructure that we have to support individuals who are, you know, underrepresented from underrepresented groups in our offices are very much just grown out of that. What we're now turning our attention to, which I'm sure you'll get to with, with Darren, is we also need to fix, though, the context. So as the, you know, the transformation work is, it's not just about supporting the individuals, but let's make sure we're, we're creating an environment in which the individuals can thrive. So looking at all of our processes and practices and making sure that those are set up so that everyone can be successful. And that mindset shift that's taken place over the last, I don't know, 20, 25 years from preparing the individual to succeed at Bain to actually continuing to evolve Bain to a place where individuals can succeed because they already come to the table with a lot of skills and we need all of those people to succeed. And that's probably a little bit of the flip in the paradigm. And it's actually both and. I mean, we're still doing a lot of individualized training and mentoring, but we're also thinking about our processes and the things that we do to assess talent and develop talent and coach talent in a way that's that's broader than I think any of us imagined, definitely more than I imagined 25 years ago when I joined. Can I add um, one thing? One of the things that I sure. also really appreciated about John Donahoe and the process that we created, Adrian and I and Liz, was at each partner meeting, or office head meeting, we would be on the agenda. Babs would be on the agenda where we'd say, here are the numbers in your office. Here's what's going on. Here's the funnel and what's happening. So if you put it on senior people's radars and make sure they're tracking, it's going to be more likely that there'll be some more traction or greater traction. And so to be able to say like, hey, Darren just came in from banking and he's doing really well. We want him to make it to partner eventually. Here's how things are going. He's close to manager. Just And so it allows you to see people differently. So that was huge. And I really appreciated that opportunity to be in the office head meetings each time. 
Yeah. yeah, and that part of what we've been doing, I think, has been tremendously successful, not just for one specific affinity group, but thinking about diversity more broadly with the firm's leadership, frankly, around the world. And Maria Gordian, who was actually our very first podcast guest, is now a member of Bain's board as the chair of our DEI council. And so you think about where we've come over the last 25 years, uh, it's been a really great journey. Let me close with a question for each of you, and they're different questions, but Adrian, one of the things that, that a lot of people ask me about, you know, you've been here so long, what, you know, why are you still here? What's kept you? And I'm like, ah, if one more person asked me that, I wish I could just put it on my LinkedIn profile and they could watch the video. But I, I want to ask it a little bit differently. You know, what about the job keeps it interesting and continues to give you energy? Because there's a lot of things that you could be doing that would also be a great fit for your skill and, and support the lifestyle and all the other things that you like to do. But what keeps Bain an interesting place for you to come to work every day? Yeah, great question. You know, as I mentioned, when I first moved into these internal roles, I thought I'd get bored with it after a year or two and go and do something else. And what's happened over time is that I've learned that there's always new challenges and new issues. And so while there are parts of my job that are repetitive and, you know, operational, I am still challenged. I'm still learning. I'm working on new things. And right now, you know, in light of events of 2020, the way that DEI is raised on the firm's priority list with all the various initiatives that are happening, I have personally made the decision that I really am going to double down there and I'm investing um, the tra- working with the transformation office, working, uh, you know, affiliate of the practice. I'm sponsoring one of our social impact projects out of the Chicago office. And because just as Madupe said about her desire to make this opportunity available to more people, I feel the exact same way. I loved my experience as a consultant. I've loved my the 20 years since then when I stopped doing consulting work in many ways. Again, I have a, a really interesting, demanding, fun job at a company that with people that I respect and I feel respect and value me. And I would love to make that opportunity available to more, more Black people. And it's something that Bain should be good at this. Bain, there's no reason why Bain shouldn't be one of the leaders on fixing this issue. I think we can do it. We want to do it. We have the commitment from leadership to do it. And I want to be part of that journey. So that's my current mission. Awesome. And Madupe, I'd be remiss if, if I let you out of here without talking about some of the research that you're doing. You're a professor in business school now. And I get the sense that diversity is not in your rearview mirror and that you're still focused on that. Can you just give us a, a minute about what you're working on with your research? Yeah, I mean, Bain really did help inspire my research. I study stress and performance because I was always like, we're all so stressed. Everyone's stressed at every level. To what degree is stress good? Um, when can it be help people thrive versus not? So I study how people psychologically and physiologically experience stress and how it affects different outcomes like decision-making, negotiation, you name it. But I also study the context that engender stress. Diversity is one. I also study the systems and processes that can create bias in organizations and prevent people of color and others from thriving. So that's what I study in my research and I love it. And then I can use that and I help organizations to be what they can be and what they need to be. And kind of like as Adrian said, and as I've said before, I think Bain has been amazing. And I do wish that if my contribution to the world was supposed to be being a strategy consultant, 
if that had been the case, I would have still been a Bain because it's such a good company. But I realized my contribution was supposed to be through research and teaching. And so I'm kind of doing that, leveraging some of the things I've learned at Bain and with other organizations to try to make this world a little bit of a better place with regard to diversity, equity, inclusion, and so many other things. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you both for a great conversation uh, starting our Black History Month series. It is always great to catch up with both of you, and I'm glad the three of us were able to get together. Great talking with you. Same here. Good talking to you. you. And I have to say, the relationships at Bain, I mean, best friends, close, like, just people, people who just are so down. So I'm just, I still have such great relationships from, from Bain that I cherish. So... We need to get more people to experience it for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Great to see you, Madupe. You too. (laughs) Thanks everyone for tuning in to Beyond the Bio. If you'd like to share a review or give us input on what you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd really like to hear from you. Please email our inbox at beyondthebio at bain.com. We'll see you soon with some new episodes and thanks for listening.